Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another podcast. I'm Christina Vogt, Associate Editor of the Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Bruce Y. Lee, who is a professor of health policy management at the City University of New York. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Lee. Thank you for having me, Christina. Today, we'll be discussing the FDA's emergency authorization of remdesivir for the treatment of COVID-19 and what it means for clinical care as the COVID-19 pandemic continues. So first, could you discuss what the available data on remdesivir have shown? Well, the uh, available data so far has shown that there is a modest potential improvement in survival among patients with severe COVID-19 and potentially a decrease in recovery time. Now, we have to keep in mind that these studies did have their limitations and their flaws, but that is potentially encouraging news. So there's, there's early data on trials which have shown that the time to recovery on remdesivir is 11 days compared to 15 days for placebo, which is a 31% decrease. And the mortality rate for the remdesivir group was 8% compared to 11.6% for the placebo group. This difference in mortality was not statistically significant, but it is a, an observed difference. How will the authorization of remdesivir affect care for hospitalized patients with COVID-19? So this does provide a potential alternative for those with severe COVID-19, but it's, it's very specific in terms of, if you look at the NIH COVID-19 treatment guidelines, which are available online. Currently, what they list is this is specifically for folks who have severe disease, which is defined as having an oxygen saturation that's less than 94% on ambient air. So in other words, on room air and sea level, if they can't maintain above a 94% oxygen saturation and they have severe COVID-19, then you might consider remdesivir as a treatment. And that's what the NIH COVID-19 treatment guidelines currently say. So it's an alternative for those with severe disease. What additional research is needed to further support the efficacy of remdesivir? Yeah, so one of the challenges is that the initial results are from limited clinical studies, and we basically need to see if these results can be replicated in different populations and different patients. So one of the challenges right now is that this pandemic is moving so quickly and therefore science has to move quickly. Typically what you would do is you would do not just one clinical study, but you would progress through different phases of clinical development to add this COVID-19 as an additional indication for using remdesivir. But since we don't have the luxury of time, we have to go on this initial preliminary data. So studies should continue to see if these results can actually be replicated in different people in different populations. So this is a situation where this, you know, whenever you do an emergency use authorization, it's because there's an urgency to get a certain treatment out there. You know, with COVID-19, we currently have limited treatment options. So anything that shows promise, as long as it's reasonably safe, is a potential candidate. So remdesivir has really crossed that initial threshold, but we really need to see over time, you know, is it the medication that's actually driving the differences in terms of recovery time and mortality, or is it something else? So more studies are needed. How will the data on remdesivir inform future research endeavors for COVID-19 treatments? 
So similarly, are there other medications that are being investigated? So the question is, are there other medications that can be used individually or potentially in, in combination with remdesivir to help COVID-19 patients? So this initial positive, again, we need to be cautious about saying how positive it is. This, these initial positive results suggest that this, this medication can be helpful but there, there is the possibility of having combinations of medications along with remdesivir that may potentially drive even better results, we'll have to see. Of course, we have to make sure that medications don't have any potentially negative interactions with each other. Also, you know, the more information we know about this medication, the more we know about what may work against the virus, potentially in terms of developing other types of drugs, this gives more scientific evidence. In essence, you want to look at what may be effective, you know, an antiviral that prevents replication of the virus, and if given at a certain time early enough in the course of the infection to further replication of the virus, may be helpful. That gives us more information about how to stop this virus. What key takeaways would you like to leave with healthcare practitioners on this topic? So several things. So one is we have to keep in mind that this is emergency authorization. It is based on a limited amount of clinical data. So science needs to continue. So currently, number one, there's potential indication for patients with COVID-19, with severe COVID-19, who have oxygen saturations of 94% or below on room air. That is the specific indication right now. And again, it's under an emergency use authorization. It has not gone through the whole nine yards in terms of standard FDA approval. So you have to take all this with a grain of salt. So it is a potential option, especially in the situation where you have limited options, but you have to keep in mind and keep abreast with the data that comes out. So don't assume that this initial study will hold in future studies. Stay attuned to the science and stay attuned to see what's going on. Also, I would encourage all clinicians to continuously check the NIH COVID-19 treatment guidelines. So this is a live document that's a website that the National Institutes of Health is hosting. And there is a COVID-19 treatment guidelines panel that continues to review the available evidence, and they'll update these guidelines as we move forward. So you want to check back frequently. So don't always assume that information that holds one week will hold in the next week or the following weeks. Check the website. Thanks again for joining me today, Dr. Lee. Thank you for having me, Tristina. For more podcasts like this, visit consultant360.com.